May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So another well-known story. We've all heard it before. We probably all know what it's about. Probably wondering what I'm going to talk about. Jesus is talking to some of the uh, chief priests and leading Pharisees. And he tells them the story about a landowner who planted out a vineyard, which, if you've been listening, was very like Isaiah 5, wasn't it? Our first reading. In fact, I changed the readings from what it should have been to the Isaiah 5 reading so that you could hear them both. Jesus chooses to take that Isaiah 5 reading and adapt it to what he's trying to say to the chief priests and the Pharisees, or the leading Pharisees. So there are a few differences between the the two stories. But in Jesus' story, the vineyard is created and then he employs tenants to look after it. And then he sends slaves, as landowners did, to pick up the rent. But the tenants beat up the slaves, or they kill some of them, or they stone some of them. So he sends more slaves and the same thing happens. So eventually he sends his son and he says, surely they will respect him which in an honour culture, honour-shame culture such as theirs, is a, it's a pretty good assumption. To act in the way that they had was a dishonourable, shameful way to act, but it would be extremely dishonourable to kill the son, if not a little dangerous. So, but when he arrives, they kill him, and then Jesus asks, what next? In essence, he asks the chief priests and the Pharisees, how they would finish that story. And they say, well, he'll put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. And then Jesus goes on to quote Psalm 118 and talks about the rejected building block becoming the cornerstone which people stumble over, particularly the people he's talking to, and some of them will be crushed. So how do we normally understand that reading? probably heard a gazillion sermons on it, given it comes up every three years. How would you normally understand that? Well, we'll start with some easy questions. Who is the landowner, we assume? God. Right, the landowner is God. So who is the vineyard? I'm going to have to move because the rain's getting heavier. Judah, because that's basically all that's left of the house of Israel. So who were the slaves in the story that came to pick up the rent, who got stoned and killed? Prophets. Uh, The prophets in whom Jesus, the tradition of which Jesus stands in. Uh, It's time we cleared our government again, I see. Excellent. 
and uh, the Son is assumed to be Jesus. Right. So it's all pretty straightforward. And the tenants then become the chief priests and the Pharisees. So that's where the chief priests and the Pharisees come in. They are the tenants whose job it is to look after the vineyards. So they're the ones that are going to get smashed. Although some commentators suggest that maybe it was the number of empires that keep kind of rolling through that period. They're the ones that kind of get invited in, start doing well, and then things go wrong and they end up getting smashed themselves. So, but something like that. But there are some problems with this particular analogy. The first is, in terms of the sun dying outside of the vineyard, which we from a post-crucifixion and resurrection can say, oh, well, that's all about Jesus... Actually, at this point, Jesus is alive. He hasn't died yet. He hasn't been taken out. So he's the one telling the story. So in terms of a timeline thing, that's a little problematic. Now, maybe Jesus is saying, this is what you're going to do to me. Or maybe it's about something else. So it's not quite as straightforward as we sometimes think it is, because he is the one telling the story. But the other part, the other problem with this understanding of it is it has a very violent picture of God, doesn't it? God then comes and what's the actual quote? Uh, He will put those wretches to a miserable death. So if God is the landowner, that's God putting those wretches to a miserable death. How does that image fit with what Jesus teaches and lives out in terms of the image of God? I mean, I would say that bears no resemblance to how God is presenting, how Jesus is presenting God the Father in everything else that he does. So maybe we need to just pause and go back a bit and put this reading back put it back into his historical context, and put it back into the gospel as a whole. So let's start with the historical context. So I'm going to do big picture stuff very short. So, way back in Exodus, the people of God were slaves in Israel. And God heard their cry and came and led them out of Israel, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, out of Egypt and out of slavery. So those two things are important. They were slaves, now they're not slaves. And then they are led into the promised land, a land of milk and honey, and they're given that land, which wasn't such great news for the people who were already living in that land. And then uh, each family was given land so that they could thrive in that land and no longer be slaves with the commandment that they were to be generous with what had been given them to all those who were outsiders. And the leadership was put in place to ensure that those people would thrive in the land and would no longer be slaves. Well, all that starts going pear-shaped, really, particularly from the time of Solomon. Solomon the Wise. They started off okay, 
but actually very quickly became pretty unwise. And before we have too much of a story, there are the people once again in slavery, building his palaces and the temple. So Solomon actually wasn't such a good king. He started off well, but soon kind of adopted the ways and the methods of every other king in the area. And before you know it, once again, people are slaves. They had been slaves. God brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, but here they are, once again slaves. And so it goes until we get to the time of Jesus. Now, by the time of Jesus, most of the people who had lived in Judah and Galilee had lost their land once again. They were landless. Who owned the land? Well, the people Jesus is talking to. The chief priests and the leading Pharisees, the Judean elite. When they use the word Jews in the Gospels, it's talking about this group of people, the Judean elite, who now own all the land, along with some of the wealthy Romans who have acquired some of it as well. And the people who used to own the land, some of them are slaves, some of them are tenants on what used to be their family land, farming it for absentee landowners, and a whole bunch of them are day labourers whose lives are dependent on picking up work to work on these farms. In effect, they might not be slaves, but they have been returned to the same situation they were in in Egypt, where they are living from hand to mouth with no control over their own lives, absolutely dependent on the decisions of people in Jerusalem and Rome. They are not much better than slaves in a land that once flowed with milk and honey. Something has gone wrong here. So go back to the Gospel then. Jesus is telling the story to chief priests and leading Pharisees. And he's telling the story because they came to him, came into Jerusalem, went to the temple, overturned the money, the tables and the money changes. Not because there was anything particularly wrong about that. It was just the markups were so high. You had to change Roman money to temple money because Roman money had uh, the graven image of Caesar on it. You couldn't have that in the temples. You had to change that. That was fine. But there was about a 100% markup. The money changers were making a vast amount of money, impoverishing people who had to go to them to change the money to go into the temple. Same with the people who offered the doves and the sacrifices. A huge markup. They were impoverishing people coming to the temple. That's what Jesus is objecting to. The profiteering going on in the temple rather than just a simple service. So, goes away, comes back the next day to teach, and the chief priests and the Pharisees come to him and they ask him, show us your credentials. Who authorised you to teach here? To which Jesus answers from last week, well, before I answer your question, I'm going to ask you a question. What was John's baptism about? Which is another way of saying, what was John's credentials? Where did his authority come from? So the chief priests and the leading Pharisees go away and they have a conversation, but they don't have a conversation about where did John's authority come from. They have a conversation about which answer will preserve their power. 
which answer will preserve their power? And in the end they go, neither answer is going to work. We're in a bit of a hard place. So they went back and they said, we're not going to answer you. And Jesus said, well, then I won't answer your question. And then he told them a story about two sons, one of whom was asked to go and work on the farm. And he said, no, Dad, I haven't got time. But then he said, oh, well, maybe I should. And he did. And the other said, yes, Dad, I'll do that. But then got waylaid and distracted and never went and worked on the farm. And he says to them, so which one of these sons was the good son? And they say, well, of course, the first one. And then he carries on and he tells this morning's story. So this morning's story is in response to the question, show us your credentials, by what authority do you teach here? That's the question Jesus is answering with this story. So we've heard the story. And the story he is telling, he is telling the story to a bunch of absentee landlords. People who, they immediately identify with the landlord in the story because they are landlords. This is their world. This is what they do. They own vineyards all over the place and every year they send slaves out to them to collect the rent. And all around them, listening to this conversation, are the people who are day labourers and tenants on what used to be their family land. Listening to what Jesus is saying in answer to the question. So this isn't some theoretical story. This is a story that is all about their lives. This is them. And we very easily say, all oh, those evil tenants, those ungrateful tenants. I read that in one of the children's stories. Those ungrateful tenants, that landlord, that nice landlord, gave them some land and they should have been thankful. Well, that's one understanding of the story. But it's not the only understanding of the story. Now the interesting thing is that Jesus doesn't finish the story. Does he? He gets them to finish the story. And the really interesting thing about that is that in effect when he says, so what will the landowner do? He is saying to them, so, you show me your credentials. By what authority do you act? And how they answer the question will reveal by what authority they act and what their credentials are. And how do they answer? Well, they answer in the way that any good Roman landlord would operate. They will die a miserable death and we will give the vineyard to different tenants, which is exactly what they did. If somebody didn't pay, they would hire people to go in, forcibly remove them, and then they would give the vineyard to somebody else. It happened all the time. That was how they rolled. They answered with their normal way of operating, a way of coercion, violence, and death that leaves the people they are responsible for. So these tenants, these tenants are their people. They are the chief priests. They are the leading Pharisees. They are the leaders of Israel. They are responsible for these people. 
these people who were in slavery in Egypt and were taken out of slavery and brought to the promised land and given land where they could thrive. A story they recite, still recite, every year at Passover. We were slaves in Egypt and we were brought out. These leaders say they will die a miserable death because they have not paid us the rent and killed the son. Now all of that shows exactly their credentials. Those are their credentials of their leadership. Coercion, violence, death. So where does their authority come from? Not from God. It comes from Rome. It comes from the ways of the world. They have abandoned their birthright. And their answer convicts them. So Jesus goes on and uses Psalm 118 to make sure they work out that they are convicted by their own answer. So how else could they have answered it? And what do we think of their answer? And I have to say, every time I've read that story, I've never felt, I've never stopped and read their answer and went, oh, I wonder if there are alternatives. I just kind of accepted it. Oh, well, that's how it worked. And it wasn't until this year I went, if the landowner is God and the landowner acts in this way, how, should I be comfortable with that? Is that really how God operates? Or are there some different ways the story should finish? And the fact that I'm not uncomfortable about that, what does that say about my understanding of God? So I'm quite happy for God to come and kill everyone and crush people. I mean, how does that work? How does that fit with what Jesus is on about? So the question then is, oh, we should have probably had a... There we go. should have had that when they were given their answer. So next one up. So homework to do in the next couple of minutes. Church work. How would we finish that story? Jesus tells us the story. And then Jesus says to us, now when the owner of the vineyard arrives home from his trip, what do you think he will do to the farmhands? From our experience of God and the way that God is presented in the Gospels through the life of Jesus, how would we answer that, finish that story? How would we answer this question? So instead of saying a creed this morning, which is all about what we believe God is, we are going to, in our, where we're sitting, just talk about how we would answer the story, because that is all about how we see God. So you've got three or four minutes to send your groups and work out how you would answer that question. How would you finish the story? So, because there's only two groups, I won't do this at 9.30, but uh, how, would you answer the, how would you finish the story? Not finished? Alright, yeah, that's true, it's still going on today. It is still going on today. Well, I would invite you to keep thinking about how you would finish that story 
how you would finish it differently and how you then offer that to the world. Because if our answer is exactly the same as the chief priests and the leading Pharisees, then we are exactly the same as everyone around us. Nothing is different. There has to be a different way of answering that story. So how do we find that different answer and how do we offer that? So let's keep all that in mind as uh, Bonnie will lead us into the next bit.